So anyway, can I open the uh, debate or the questions, please, if anyone would like to? Yeah. Thanks very much for your talk, Mary. I just have a quick question, and it's probably more, you brought it up at the start of your talk, and it's probably something that's more of, a, more of an immediate effect, really, in the next couple of years. Um, it's the relationship with the EU, uh, the UK, and the upcoming David Cameron's commitment to hold a referendum, I think it's in 2017, um, with, with, you know, about a renegotiated membership of the EU. Yeah, the upcoming refer e EU, EU referendum, referendum in the UK, and I'm just sort of saying that, that, like, if any, if the UK is moving towards the exit doors, it would have a disproportionate effect on Ireland, because, whether it's in trade, whether it's to do with the North or whatever. And I'm just wondering, like, you, I know you live in London, part, you know, some of the time you live in Dublin as well, and you just mentioned the strength of UKIP. Like, do you think that that is a very real possibility that the that the UK will move towards the well, it, it's very hard. I mean, I think that um, and Kelly is going to have a very tough day today with David Cameron because he's making exactly the point that you're making. It would be disastrous for Ireland if Britain left the EU. Um, but uh, <coughs> it's not something Cameron would want himself, but he, like Andy Kelly himself, he's absolutely dependent on electoral votes and you know uh, electoral support and the, the tide that's flowing for UKIP, the UK Independence Party at the moment is absolutely unstoppable. It's it's just very interesting that you just pick it up in a kind of a, a sort of um, uh, you know uh, informal narrative uh, experiences. You know, I mean, my hairdresser in Kent was completely unpolitical and everything like that. She really not that interested. But she did say to me, I was really glad to see that the UKIP, that they did so well at Eastleigh. I was really glad to see it. Uh, and, you know, they came second after the Liberal Democrats, and, of course, Tories and Labour were, were third and fourth place. And that's been a pattern. <coughs> I mean, who can tell? I, obviously, Cameron is trying to spread, to, to, to keep this uh, as distance as possible. 2017 is a long time away. But uh, it is obvious that there is a ground swell because I think people just feel that, well, I, pe I think people feel it here too, that the uh, European Union is too bossy, really. It's interfering in every element of, every element of, of, of really quite local lives. Don't people are making cakes? You, know, you can't make that sort of cake. The EU is against the European Union. So, yes, you're right. It, would, it will have, it, it could happen, and it will have a disastrous effect on Ireland. All the more reason why you need all the friends you can get. You must expand your networks. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. I, I agree with Mary, but I, I can see at the minute, like, I actually think that Cameron has been cornered into, into calling his referendum trying to appease the, the right wing of his party. And if you're to, you're to judge on what he's going by, that he's he's trying to win support to basically go, go to, to go to the EU to have a re to basically repatriate powers <coughs> back. If you look at what happened even last week with George Osborne, who didn't want uh, didn't want a cap on bankers' bonuses? That might be a very hard thing to do to do with the EU trying to renegotiate these powers back, and they might end up you know you know that they can't renegotiate these powers back, and they go to the British people and sort of say, oh look, we can't we can't really change this relationship, so it's basically in or out. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. Well, I think one of the things really. I mean, it's a constitutive area, but I think, you know, some radical uh, um, Islamic clerics whom ha who 
that Theresa May, the, the Home Secretary, has wanted to uh, send back to Jordan, to send back their own country, yes, and so on. And uh, well, of course, this is this is with the European Human Rights uh, Court and so on. But it, it's all sort of in. I think in the. Um, everyday experience of ordinary people, it's all part of the same thing. They're just being too bossy with us, you know, and trying to control everything. So, well, a week is a long time in politics, and certainly five years is a long time in politics, so we don't know what's going to happen, but there's trouble ahead, obviously, as you say. Ireland has to be aware of this. It'll be interesting to see what Tisha Kenny comes back with today. I understand that, but I'm just There's this, you know, I, I think there would be a lot of resistance, and all I'm asking for is to is to talk about these things, really, you know, because that's the first step, is to talk about things, and but I think that you know, I, I just to go back to my, um, I read through a lot to to my own experience there, where I read through a lot of um, Irish uh, missionary papers where they were. Um, Back right back to the First World War, where Irish missions there was, you know, they went to there were a lot, of, very uh, a lot in China, India. A lot of Loretta nuns went to India and set up convents in India, and very very well re received actually. And uh, many Indian people who were not at all Christian, nevertheless, wanted their daughters to go to these convents because they they thought they were good. Uh, it was a good education. So there are all these informal links which are in the deposit of history. So that, I mean, Anglo-Irish relations are important, but they're just bilateral relations. I think it's nice to be open to a network of relationships so that you're part, so that you're open to these, the big world out there. And um, as I say, I was quite touched when I 
read some of these um, sort of missionary letters. I know missionaries are kind of slightly looked down on now as kind of form of colonialism, but actually a lot of these letters were very nice and very humble, and there were there was all these Irish nuns in um, China, and they they were trying to save little girls because uh, Chinese families didn't 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 welcome little girls, and they were calling all these little girls Bridget, and you know, and then there was a there, there was a magazine called the, the Far East, which was um, written by Irish missionaries uh, about about their work in China, and one of them striking things about these reports were that how respectful they were of Chinese culture. They became very, very respectful. They saw how civilized Confucianism could be. They actually had a special column in 1916 about Chinese cooking, you know, which of course is one of the great cuisines of the world. You know, these were missionaries who were writing about their experiences in China, and you had sisters as well, with the help of the British authorities actually in Hong Kong, were setting up hospitals. They were a campaigning against these sisters were campaigning against foot binding for women in China, which is a very reactionary thing Chinese for, imposed on Chinese women. Um, so you have, I just say, let's not forget about that big wide world that we were part of as well, um, and that we do have links with all these countries. And maybe we wouldn't want to codify it by saying we'll rejoin the Commonwealth, but I think we should remember that deposit and remember those links and cherish them because they evolve and change. And we, have, we should have links with the Commonwealth countries today in, in that warm spirit. What, what do you think of that approach? I'm quite open to you know, exploring and developing relationships, but if, in order to improve relationships, I would be worried about advocating that the one ultimate step of rejoining, because I think it would do more harm than good. And just one final comment. We should remember that we actually do have a, an ambassador to the Vatican, and we do have an embassy in, in, in the Vatican. So that myth that we don't have one is simply not true. The fact is we don't have uh, two, the Irish government, or rather the Vatican authorities, won't allow two ambassadors to be in Rome. And that's a ludicrous situation for a small country as ours. So it's partially the Vatican's fault. What is that issue has been dealt with? But it's the same for every country in the past. Pat, yeah. That's right, but you know, we have to deal with our reality. Yeah. Sorry, Pat, yeah. Sorry, Pat, uh, I just to diverted a little. Um, I personally myself, uh, sorry, I'm pretty old, um, uh, and I'm, I'm an Irishman, and I've worked in about 40 different countries, and I love Irishness. But I always do regret that we did not grasp the nettle uh, in 48 and, and avail our membership of the Commonwealth. And um, having also lived in Northern Ireland, I feel that the carnage that did unfold in Northern Ireland would perhaps never have come to pass uh, had we uh, availed of uh, Commonwealth membership. And indeed, the benefits that with Commonwealth membership, uh, take for example, the success of Canada, uh, Australia, New Zealand. So it's just, just a comment. Uh, Very interesting. Yeah, thank you. Charles? Uh, yeah. yeah, I think just one historical thing is interesting, you probably know it, Mary, that the government which declared the Republic took the view that we were no longer in the Commonwealth mm -hmm. anyway. Yes. yes. That uh, there was an ambiguity. And, there was, and people yes. often say 1949, we left the Commonwealth. Yes. But in fact, uh, they took the view we didn't leave it, but then there was no negotiation to get us back into it. Right. Yes. Uh, that's what, but I th think probably the 
I think it's common case that there is a special relationship between these two islands. I think that's common case. And the question is how it's best expressed. I mean, <coughs> one way is what both in the EU, of course, and then in a bilateral way. And the question is whether it, it would be, it needs to be expressed in this other way. The United States doesn't need to express it in that way, its special relationship. And in a way, I think for this argument, and it's certainly right that it should be uh, explored, I think we need to look what practical effects have it, has it. Are there practical advantages? Now, it appalls me at the moment to see that people from Canada and Australia and all these countries can't come here, their descendants can't come here, and there's yes. difficulties between. And the Commonwealth doesn't seem to advance that kind of thing, either trade or yeah. migration. So you wonder what are the practical consequences. And I think if it is to go forward, this idea, and the debate is to be useful, it must point to some practical difference. Yes. When we went into the EU, it was practical that's things true. were uh, mainly there. And I think that's the gap, and that's the thing that yes. needs to be uh, explored, uh, what practical difference it will make. That's a terribly important point, Charles. Um, and interestingly, Cameron was in India recently, and he was very being extremely uh, warm about it. Naturally, of course, why wouldn't he be anyway? But he went out of his way, and he went to Amritsar and expressed his regret about so on and so forth. And it was an extremely... Um, he, he was very strongly reported all in the British media and so on. But then a commentator was explaining, you know, he wasn't just being Hindophile because he thought Indian culture was wonderful. He's being Hindophile because he believes India is one of the big powerhouses of the future. It's a huge economic power. It's going to be a huge economic power. He desperately wants Indian graduates and Indian undergraduates to come to Britain because that, uh, that represents an investment in the future and that I think illuminates very much what you were saying. You're absolutely right too uh, that in 1948 Ireland was, it was an ambiguous situation. The Queen Mother of blessed memory uh, who was a little bit, she was a little bit sharper with Dulanti than, 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 than the King because the King was really uh, a really soft kind of person, you remember he had a stammer and so on, a nervous kind of person, but Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, was a very sharp Scots lady. Uh, and uh, she, she, she said something to the effect of, well, you've always been half in and half out anyway, haven't you? you know? <laughs> and, um, uh, but the King said, I still regard you, Mr. Dulanti, as the doyen of our Commonwealth of the High Commissioners. So the king wanted to think of Ireland as being in the Commonwealth, even if, as you say, I think queen, the queen mum was nearer to the mark when she said we were half in and half out. That was, that was true. And it was Churchill, as you probably know, Mary, who said, and when they were in, they were out. And when they were out, they were in. And that was after we, we, had, we had departed from the Commonwealth. Do you remember that? Sorry, Mary, do you want to? Um, I, I think Charles said something important there where he said about things being a two-way process and what you said about the rise of UKIP within uh, England in particular yes. I think is very important because there are times and some of my best friends are British 
There are times when I really feel that John Bull's other island raises its head again. But this sort of thing. Uh, you know, with our horse meat scandal and burgers and so forth, I'm sure some of you saw on television the man who was the head of Iceland when asked about the tests which were carried out in Ireland and which showed that there was you know, horse meat DNA in burgers. And he said, well, that's Ireland for you. You know, but he did have to go back and it because, of course, this had commercial implications. So he was rapidly saying that Iceland loved Ireland and buy your burgers there and so forth. I'm happy to say I've never bought one there and will not buy one either. But then the other night, um, here I am watching Jon Snow and, and Jeremy Irons is on talking about um, getting rid of plastic bags all over Europe, as we did decades ago. And uh, when Jeremy Irons brings this up and says, well, the Irish got rid of them you know, years ago, and, and this head of the British Plastics Association said, oh, they use bin liners. You know, mm, John Snow has a letter coming towards him on that issue. But th there's a sort of, some, sometimes I feel a feeling that we're still this, this well, separate, um, separate, I think well, Mary, you might. We're you're, not quite. I mean, that would be considered a sort of racist remark if they said it about a lot. Of I think you're being a little oversensitive, Mary, in that because I mean, I think that um, you know, Iceland is a very down. You you haven't shopped there because you don't no. need to shop there, darling. It's for very poor people mostly. It's one of the, the cheapest places you can go. But I don't think poor yeah. people should be. I'm not saying that, but it's very much. This is Eastenders territory. It's very popular culture. It's very, it's not, the people who run Iceland wouldn't be particularly educate, educated people, if I may say so. And um, if it was Poland, they'd say, well, that's Poland for you, you know, or you, you have that kind of uh, robust, um, uh, I mean, I live in, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm based in Kent, and, you know, there's a fairly robust kind of thing about I mean, what they're saying about Bulgarians, Romanians at the moment doesn't bear thinking about, you know. And I mean, Bulgarians, I, I keep having to defend Bulgaria, I keep having to say to people, look, the Bulgarians were very decent during the war, they resisted the Nazis, and the king, was King Simeon of Bulgaria, was such a good egg, he was elected once. I keep having to say, this is a very, you know, this is... Culture goes back to St. Cyril and St. Methodius. They, oh, they're all coming over here just to take our benefits. We know, yeah. Oh, gypsies anyway, aren't they? That's okay. Uh, yeah, honestly, sorry, that's, that's, that is the, the common everyday culture. And you would hear it in Ireland as much about other people as well, you know, about Brits or about Kerry men or anything. Um, by contrast, I mean, I'm not saying there isn't. Of course there is. There was always a de de deposit of, uh, you know, part of the Irishman kind of attitude, and and somebody in a commercial situation like that <coughs> is quick to blame anyway. But I might say Radio Four, the the uh, PM program on Radio Four, which goes out from five uh, till six and is very influential, uh, fronted by Eddie Mayer. They went out of their way to say, you know, the Irish have been very responsible about this. These were the Irish were the people who discovered that there was horse. Thing. And they were really, really, they were very meticulous about it. So there is, you know, you do have the correction as well. But um, uh, a little bit of, uh, the, the, of course, there's always going to be a little bit of uh, to and froing, isn't there, you know? Philip, yeah. Would you, would you be able to let the 
I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Would, would I? Let the Nigerian delegation say something. If they would like to, and indeed South Africa, and I think it's interesting, Philip, South Africa is a country that left the Commonwealth, or perhaps more likely were asked to, <coughs> asked to leave the Commonwealth and came back in and, and joined again. I think that's an interesting... On becoming democratic. An inter yes, quite, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. After apartheid, I think, had, was, was put behind South them. Exactly. Sorry, yes? We've got the ambassador here. Yes. Well, it's interesting, as you may know, Nigeria gained independence in 1960. Unfortunately, we had a military coup in January 1966. That lasted until 1979. Then we adopted the presidential system in 1979. Then, in unfortunately, there was another coup. Then between 1980-45, that government was from 1985 to 1993. I think our most turbulent relationship with the Commonwealth was between 1963-66 over the apartheid government in South Africa. Then between the military regime of General Abacha, who was in power from 93 to 98. Well, obviously, as you know, as a military government, it didn't fall within the principles of the Commonwealth at that time. And also during the CMAC, the Commonwealth and Monitoring Action Group at that time, that was bent on the promotion of democracy. Well, happily, we returned back to civil rule, as many of you know, in October 1999, till date, which is the longest period since our independence, October 1960. Yes, I would say that there have been a number of practical benefits, you want to call it that way. The area of education, technical assistance and cooperation, promotion of democracy. As you may know, we are also a prominent member of the economic community of West African states, and we have worked closely with the Commonwealth in places like Sierra Leone, uh, in Ghana, even elections and other troubled areas. You know the Sierra Leone also had problems with military government. So by and large, yes, I think relations are becoming more and more popular. As you may know, the Commonwealth Secretary General left Nigeria last week and had very useful discussions. I believe now there's a thought about relaxing visa regime. First of all, they want to start with the diplomatic official then probably as we move along, others will follow suit. That, I believe, will promote mobility within the country. So yes, for some time, there's been a lot of debates. Some people have thought that Nigeria should have left. But as like many of you, most international organizations, even if you don't like what is being discussed there, it's important to still be there anyway. So I think that view appears to have prevailed. So now we have an active robust membership of the Commonwealth. And I think it's also helping us in stabilizing Africa in the, in the area of elections and other things. We saw the very successful election. <coughs> in spite of misgivings, elections went very well. So also Ghana recently, Sierra Leone too. So I think there are some Thank you, Ambassador. Thank, Thank you, Excellency. Very much. Sorry. Yeah. Philip, sorry. 
sorry, I'll just give my two months worth for it. Is, there not a, is this not a great opportunity for us to uh, actively promote and encourage reunification or rejoining the Commonwealth? Um, at the moment, this country and, and Europe in general is going through an economic depression without precedent. Now, if we had an ally there in some of the other countries, like some of the Commonwealth countries, their economy at the moment is buoyant. Uh, I was listening to our one of our MEPs, Jim Higgins, back in Ireland West, and he was in the last referendum that was held. He was advocating that we had no choice. He said, we have great friends in Europe and it's going to be a disaster if we vote against the uh, second referendum that they held there. The one that they had to re yeah. <coughs> um, I only heard him on the radio there two weeks ago and he says Ireland now was faced with the prospect of losing another seat in the European Parliament. And he says it's a, it's a very it's going to have a very negative impact on Ireland because he says it's a reduced representation against increasing and enlargement of the union. So if we had if we had the Commonwealth as there to rely on for some of our exports and some of our surpluses, we wouldn't be as beholden to Europe because remember we are a minor player in Europe. <coughs> I don't know if I have made. Thank you. No, that's the very, very good yeah. point that yeah. you should spread your you should you spread your networks. Yeah. I think the Europeans are only treating us as only as hail fellow well met. Yeah. Like the Germans, I'd say, are the real villains in this economic because they were say, lending us the money and getting well paid for the service in order to sell their products because the the new mode of thinking at the time was oh you wouldn't have a care unless it was made in germany or you wouldn't have a household appliance or whatnot look at what europe has done with the fishing industry look at what it did was this it wiped out the sugar beet industry isn't the beef as i say totally dependent at the whims of yes. the officials <coughs> no, no, it's very interesting because at the time of that fishing crisis i think there was tremendous sense of solidarity with newfoundland wasn't there i think cornwall ireland certainly munster and newfoundland sort of joined up to say we're not going to have our fishing grounds taken so these things happen perhaps in 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 informal ways too. thanks mary we we have certainly time for a few more questions and we better go Yes, get something to eat and some coffee and tea and so on. So could I have a couple more questions, please? Sorry, so you were... You were uh, yeah, yeah. Do, um, coming from a, a mixed background, <coughs> Britain and Ireland, Ireland and North and South in my blood, at the time when 1922 came about, our family was sundered. We were based in Dublin. That will be two generations before me. We are based in Dublin. And those that were employed in Crown service by army, civil service and so forth had to go over to Britain. But the family home remained in Dublin, which is still there today. Yeah. Uh, now, that was an emotional happening within our family. Jump ahead, 1948-49, when the Republic 
this Republic left the Commonwealth, that was another emotional sundering between the South and Northern Ireland where I would have had uh, connections. This was a family, again, at, uh, being the Sodomers. And so, to me, the Commonwealth is a living thing. It has increased over the years, or 54 or so uh, new uh, states, with Her Majesty as the figurehead. Now, how many Irish people, Irish-born and Irish-related people, are spread throughout the Commonwealth, throughout the old empire days? Because as time goes by, through research work, we're finding that more and more Irish either born or related people serve in either the military, the police, civil service, the missionaries, the hospitals, the schools, that we have given credit for half the time. It's only coming out now, more and more so, like Mary has spoken about. Researchers now are finding, they're going through uh, old, old letters and uh, books and so forth, and finding that more and more uh, Irish-related people have served. And we should recognize this. Mm -hmm. Now, in relation to the EU, yeah, there's a problem here. And it's expanding, and it, it does concern me that it sometimes is it going to get out of hand. Whereas the Commonwealth has been a steady influence there uh, since, since Empire days. And we're a part of it. We mightn't be able to join immediately, allowing for what the voters got to say, but we should build up to thinking about it, talking about it. And I think there should be an information office here yes. in Dublin. Because where, where do you go if you want to know about a Commonwealth country yes. uh, other than maybe ring the British Embassy? I used to go to, to uh, visit to London with the um, Commonwealth Institute, which, which unfortunately closed down some years ago. Yes. And <coughs> it was so interesting to read, out, to read about the different uh, nations. And I used to think, well, there's no trifle flying with all the other Commonwealth yes. countries. You know, yeah. that's an emotional uh, feeling. But it's a, it's a constant thing, whereas the EU could break up in the morning. Well, I think you should write a autobiography about your family, because that's a fascinating insight into Irish history that it would have been repeated so many times. And furthermore, yeah. those that before me were educated here in Dublin, uh, in military schools, and both traditions, they told me, lived together, got on well together. Until the crack in 1922 came along. So, thanks for having me. No, no, you're very welcome. Just one question, if we may. Mark, you wanted to ask the question before yeah, we wind it up. Sorry? There's, there's no contradiction between membership of the Commonwealth and membership of the European Union. Yes. We, we can be members of both. In Malta, Britain, yeah. Cyprus. Cyprus, yeah. Cyprus, yes. Very there's not a contradiction in terms. Ross, can I make one quick comment? If I'm please, please, yeah. said, yes, please. I always remember, and it's a long time ago, the evening press, there was a headline, and the first slide on it was, the only English-born member of U2 was arrested on drug charges today. So we, we, we can just be as, you know, comment on them as they can. Very good, very good. Can I ask a question to you, Robin? Yes. Um, I mean, one of the most strongest yes. um, voices in the Commonwealth at the moment is Don McKinnon, I think, who was uh, from New Zealand. He's just, he's just uh, written an autobiography about his life in the Commonwealth. But um, 
When the Queen dies, do we know it's a very, what will happen? Yeah, Who could yeah, be the head of the Commonwealth yeah. then? Could it be somebody in India? Could it be somebody in Australia? Could it be somebody uh, in South Africa, it's, in it's, Nigeria? It's a very good question and we have been into it. We have, we have been in touch with the Commonwealth Office in London. People have talked about it yes. and debated it and frankly they don't know. It's open. It's open, Mary. Yes. It's not written down in any constitution. Yes. including the new charter, which has just, as you know, just yeah. been issued. Yes. So it's open. But I hear that, now whether it'll happen or not, that Charles is interested if, yes. if he becomes king. Yes. He is interested in being okay. head of the colony. But well, it's open. It's interesting. Well, but I will point out that there, yes, are, two, there are two elected representatives here, oh. one of the, and one of them is a party member. My apologies. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> there you are. Sorry. All right, uh, thank, you. thank you. Thank <laughs> you.